0: what i'm talking about wait okay now from the beginning welcome to bs beyond stereotypes a podcast about lawyers using their authentic voices to change the world
1: what i really realize even more now is the effort to erase history like that this is doing what especially white people and especially in the deep South want to have tried to do anyway. Right. They didn't want us ever telling these stories. They didn't want people ever finding out what was going on there. They didn't, that's why we can't find names. We can't find records. We can't find nobody from the state really ever came and checked on this place. Right. And so like there is this kind of intent that this is what we're seeing now is not, is a new version of an old practice, which is we the best way to control history is to not talk about it and to not be able to tell.
0: Welcome to BS Beyond Stereotypes. I'm your host Merle Vaughn. Here to BS with me today is Josie Duffy Rice, whose story I find fascinating and who will no doubt inspire all of you to embrace your authenticity. Hey Josie, how
1: are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thanks for being here. I can't. I've been so excited about this. I'm, I know. Um,
1: I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So let me tell the folks a little bit about you. Um, and I always say I'm not gonna go bored. They can always your Google will you you could be Googled um, <laughs> and find out everything, but. Josie is a journalist, writer, law school graduate, and podcast host whose work is primarily focused on prosecutors, prisons, and other criminal justice issues. Um, She received her undergraduate degree in political science at Columbia University, her law degree at Harvard Law School, and um, has been the the recipient of a few fellowships that hopefully we'll get to talk about. Um, until recently, uh, you were the uh, president of the Appeal, a non-profit news uh, organization that exposes how the U.S. criminal legal system is failing us. Um, what did I leave out?
1: That's that's good. Um, the only other thing I would say is um, I just finished doing a podcast called Unreformed, um, which I worked on um, with your wonderful daughter um and um that focused on a school in alabama a juvenile reform school so um but that was great that was a great summary um, and, <laughs> and it- i'm glad to be here yeah, and I was gonna say, so it's
0: unreformed the story of the Alabama Industrial School for Negro children. Mm-hmm. Um, and wasn't it like the top
1: podcast
0: for a while? Um, yeah it
1: was it was in the top ten, well, it was in the top ten for a few days, which was very exciting. yeah, um, and we did pretty well on the history charts. um I was really, you know, it's a it's a it's a, it's obviously like a heavy topic, and it's, yeah can be um it has some it's a lot right yeah Um, we we tried to and I think with Taylor's help especially we tried to kind of make it bearable um but I I am really kind of great grateful and amazed at how many people have listened because you know it's not always easy to listen to these stories and so I'm so grateful for for um that there you know that there was an audience there
0: and it's not i think what you're saying or what how i felt is that there's definitely um lots of uh parts of it that that are uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. um but you know i'm all about (laughs) uncomfortable and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. conversations because i believe that's how we how Mm -hmm. we learn and that's how we grow um so that that is that that is outstanding that it was well received and that you had so many people listen so congratulations
1: thank you I feel really I feel I mean it was obviously such an incredible team effort um but it did take you I know mean, it took a long time I mean we were working on this for uh, we were working on this for like over I mean a year and a half I mean I thought it was gonna take a few months and thought I was wrong um and so uh it just it's one of those things where it's when it's done you're sort of just hoping, you know, hoping people find it worth listening to, and I'm glad that um, I'm just glad it's I'm glad that you know, uh, we were able to make it. I feel really gl- lucky that we were able to tell these people's stories as well, because right, you know, for so long, lots of these people did not talk about what they experienced at the school. They didn't talk about what they had gone through as kids. Some of them as young as 11, 12 years old, um, or younger even, uh, and so um It means a lot to be able to have their stories heard, and and to have people say like, "I'm sorry, this happened to you." Like, we hear you, and we we understand this was wrong. Like, the state of Alabama has not said that yet, but I think even hearing right, audience people who listen to it say like, "I'm so sorry, this happened to you I think it really matters, you know.
0: Right. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know if Taylor told you, but I when I finished the last episode, I was walking around the track and I stopped and I called um a friend of mine um who is the lawyer who just got the first reparation land reparations
1: um, oh wow here in for, LA.
0: yeah for Bruce's uh-huh. Beach and I called uh-huh. him and I said you I'm sending you this now you have to listen oh my to gosh. it and That's you have amazing. to figure out how to get these people justice Oh, I love that. And and he responded and said, got to listen to it now, Merle. So don't be surprised if you get a call.
1: That would be (laughs) amazing. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely, I mean, it's, look, the state of Alabama doesn't want to deal with this. They don't want to deal with this. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to, like, they really don't want this part being part of their story right um and so it means a lot i think to um have more pressure and more people hear it and 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 um and really push them i mean like there's a part of me that's like who cares if they apologize like they've already done but it does matter to the people who this was done to really does matter to them you know
0: right well i also got it um because i posted it on social media and i got a, a message from a guy whom with whom I used to work, um, and he said, "Merle, thank you for sharing this." Uh, he's from Alabama, and he said, "My brother was there."
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, and and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" He was like, "No," but he won't talk about
1: it. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. yeah so anyway, it was a real experience for people um, for years, you know very devastating so we're going to come back to that I want
0: to I want to I want to start I will kind of have people know a little bit more about you other than what I just uh shared um and why if you would if you don't mind kind of walk us through your story your personal story you know, where you're from, who you, you know, mm-hmm. who you are, uh, personally, like who, who fo- helped form you into this badass social justice, you know, woman, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, how did that happen? And, you know, like just if, whatever you're willing to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, I when I talk to kids and students, I mostly say, like, try to remind them that so much of this figuring out for me of like what work I want to do and where I think I can be useful in the world has been trial and error, Um, Mm a lot of error. (laughs) Um, um, But I, you know, I, I went to school. I always loved writing. I loved writing ever since I was really little. I loved writing and I loved reading. And I grew up in a family, a very, very um, social justice oriented family. I grew up, um, my mother's mother is uh, still living and she's 90, 92 now. Um, wow. She uh, um, led a lot of civil rights work in Minnesota where my mom grew up and, um, you know, was this, um, you know, was fighting for Black people's rights in you know, people here in Minnesota and they don't think like, that's not, you know, the middle of the deep South or anything, but she's, she was from Texas and she had done a lot of work in Texas. And then she moved to a, like a largely white neighborhood in Minnesota, right. And pushed, um, spent, you know, 60 years um, Mm. pushing for fair housing, pushing for integration, pushing for um, like a better, you know, world for not just black people in Minnesota, but black people across the country. Um, And so Growing up, she's also the third Josie. I'm the fifth Josie, and my daughter is the sixth Josie. Wow. Um, And so I grew up with her name, too, which I felt, I always felt, um, she's always been kind of the the biggest inspiration to me because she was Mm -hmm. so tireless in her work, um, and she really kind of was always good at seeing what else needed to be fixed and what else needed to be done. Um, And so, and and then I, and then I, my dad uh, worked um has done a lot of different things over the years but he went to morehouse college here in atlanta and ended up um becoming the chief of staff for um the first black mayor of atlanta and then worked in kind of city government for a long time um and and when i was a kid like you know my my one of my one thing i really remember is we went on vacation my parents took me and my sister to jamaica i was maybe like seven or eight and when we got there we were were staying at some you know, resort area with mm-hmm. stuff, and and my dad drove us out into Kingston, which was not a short drive, um, and was like, you know, everywhere we went, he wanted us to see how people who were struggling were living, mm-hmm. where were poor people living, where were you know, where were the people who they didn't want us to see on where we were, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so I grew up really, really understanding that we were lucky. Um, and that, like, most people weren't as lucky as we were, that we did not have, you know, um, like, a, a good life because we were more valuable, but because we were luckier, right? Um, and that luck is, it's, you know, a lot of people do not get that sort of access. And so right. for me, it always felt like the, your work, you're put on the earth to make things better. That's the job, right? That's the mandate. So I went, I, that's a long way of saying I went to undergrad, and I don't know what I thought I was going to do. Um and uh and i graduated from from undergrad in december of 08 and i like finished my finals and i remember looking up at the the tv and there was a you could see the job market you could see the the um economy like crashing, crashing. And, like, yeah, I remember, yeah. yeah i was like i'm never going to get a job and so i ended up getting a job at the public defenders office and that that changed my life forever <laughs> um it just changed my life forever. I understood how the, you know, I, I had a, I wouldn't say I totally understood, but I, my eyes were opened in a different way to the ways in which a criminal legal system, um, uh, the our criminal legal system, shapes neighborhoods and shapes people's lives and plays this looming presence and not a good one in, you know, poor communities um, and uh, in particular. And so I loved it. And I decided I'd go to law school. I went to law school. I remember my first class. I was like, this is not for me, but I've already taken out all these loans. So I guess I right. stick through. Um, and I never really practiced as a lawyer. I ended up coming out and doing some policy work, but still trying to write a lot. And I freelance mm-hmm. wrote. And, I, and so um, I ended up uh, leaving my policy job in 2015. This was two years after I graduated from law school. I think um, it was a it was, I was not, that was not, the work was not for me. Um, And, uh, and so I did not, I had a rough, I had a rough work experience um, Mm -hmm. when I kind of did that policy job. And, and when I left, I said, I didn't want to do this anymore. And I wanted to try to write and I got a job covering prosecutors. So now my work is kind of in this weird, um, I did that for a few years and uh, then I started working at the appeal and ran the appeal for a while and now I do a lot of freelance and podcast work but overall I say that my work is, um, I'm really agnostic about form and I'm dogmatic about content, like I, I care about, I know what I care about, I mean I care about other things but I know what I know, right, and I I I spend all my time working on and thinking about and researching the our, the criminal legal system that exists today. You can never really know it because, you know, so hyperlocal, so large and um, and so overwhelming and really opaque. But I this is what I'm dedicated to doing and I'm dedicated to reaching people where I can reach them. So if that's a podcast, if that's an article, if that's, you know, a fictional television show, if that's like I people, people learn and absorb information and are shaped by so many different things that I I think it's my Work uh, and my life's work to to reach them in whatever way that I can.
0: It's funny you should say that because you you just described me to a T in that like I stream shows. I'm I'm you know I, I get addicted to certain shows and like last night I was watching this show and it was in Texas and it had a volcano erupt and. You know it's a fictional sh- show but i thought i wonder if that's based on fact so of course mm-hmm. i google it mm-hmm. and it's true i mean it it's not it hasn't erupted in you know a gazillion years but there there are volcanoes in texas right,
1: right. and so i had to, no idea
0: yeah so to your point you know you you can learn if, if you if you're curious right mm-hmm. um and you, it occurs to you that, you know, they, I'm sure there's some some fact, or maybe it's not all fiction. Let me look this up. Um, that's that's it's a great way to learn things.
1: Yeah, you know, like we're so shaped by the things we watch, by the television we watch. I mean, so much of our, the way that people have, you know, trust and have depended on our criminal legal system. Um it comes from law and order and, you know, right. cops and NCIS, like the, all the ways in which popular culture, especially when it comes to our, our criminal justice system until, you know, the past couple of years where I think things are shifting, really reinforced so much of people's perception of it. Um, and so I, like, I, I just think if we really want to re, if we really want to ch- have people, if we really want to encourage people to be more skeptical of the systems that Um, that have such an impact on their lives. Uh, Part of that requires, you know, you can't just write reports and you can't just file lawsuits and you can't just write articles and you can't just work in television. I mean, you know, or it's not gonna change just through one of those things, right, it's gonna change through all of those things. And pop culture, I think probably has, is way undervalued in terms of us understanding the impact it has.
0: Right. Well, and they're smart people like you and Taylor uh, doing these things. I mean, I I really have to say again, people need to listen to Unreformed. Um, it's so smart and it's so well done. Um, and it, 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 I just I I was just in awe after every every episode, and so and and also the way you guys uh, the way you uh incorporated the music um mm. it's just it's just so we moving. had an
1: incredible music team I mean like I had never even thought about podcast music I mean I you know it's just not something that had like crossed my mind We had such an incredible team and I really I'm so I'm so glad you enjoyed it and I really thank you I I think like we had such a great we had such a great team working on this and we also had the gift of people willing to talk I mean mm-hmm. share their stories um but it it really was like honestly we could have you know if I could have stopped time and just spent another two years just researching you know mm-hmm. um, I would have done it because there there are a million stories we 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 just can't we don't get to tell because we don't have the records or we don't know all the people or you know but there are people out there that were at this school and not just this school right there is a school I mean Mount Megs has its particular unique qualities, but I think these kind of places where kids, especially Black kids, were sent throughout history and functionally tortured by the state and nobody ever knew and nobody ever got, was accountable. And, you know, those sorts of stories exist in in different schools and different states across the country. And so what I really hope is that people who hear Unreformed, they learn more about, about Megs and they push for the state of Alabama, you know, to be accountable to these people, but they also look at you know, Google your own city, your own county, and um, I right. like where what happened there, right? Because the we've we haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg in terms of what kids went through um at institutions like this.
0: And so let, let me ask you this in terms of what is going on in the world today, um, mm-hmm. and how you know there's this this uh uh, movement uh to not share facts and information and actually mm-hmm. re- erase history mm-hmm. i mean how does that affect what you do how you feel about it your and mm-hmm. and and what you think how, how do you go forward
1: yeah i think it's a great question and i think i have Two different answers. I think the first one is that part of the reason Unreformed is a sort of unusual project for me is because it is historical. Most of the things I do are more, um, more, you know, uh, more current. But that really opened my eyes, I think, in some ways, to um, to the power of record keeping and also the power of not record keeping. So in the state of Alabama, it's very difficult to get records from the state. We did manage to find a lot of stuff in archival materials that the state had kept and you know are, are are technically publicly available, although you have to go to the state capitol and sort through the boxes, but you know, you can find, but for example, like we can't get lists of who went to that school. Some of those schools, like some of that some or that school, those years, some of that information is um you know, won't be, the state won't provide. Some of it they don't have because these are black kids and nobody kept records about them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so like, what I've really come to think is, or what I've, what I've really realize even more now is the effort to erase history, like that, th- this is doing what especially white people and especially in the deep South want to, have tr- tried to do anyway. Right. They didn't want us ever telling these stories. They didn't want people ever finding out what was going on there. They didn't. That's why we can't find names. We can't find records. We can't find nobody from the state really ever came and checked on this place. Right. And so like there is this kind of this is what we're seeing now is not is a new version of an old practice, which is we the best way to control history is to not talk about it and to not be able to tell. So, I think I you know I'm very sensitive to um to the reality that like we have people who think it's better or at least better for them if we don't talk about our history. I really do believe that saying like um you know uh, like if we don't if we if we don't talk about or if we don't whoever doesn't know history is is bound to repeat it, like that's what we see happening right now, right. I would say the second thing about that 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 makes me think about is one thing that was really interesting about unreform in particular is um, looking up news coverage of the school. So here's a school that started in 1911. We uh, are our main focus was this period in the 1960s, around the 1960s, right, where Things were particularly bad, it, you know. This is around the civil rights movement, and this school is outside of Montgomery. So there's this kind of juxtaposition of like, down the street from where Rosa Parks is, you know, uh, won't like get off the bus or you know get up out, out right. of the seat, and Martin Luther King is marching from Salma to Montgomery. Like down the street from there is this school where black kids are being tortured and nobody knows about it. But one really fascinating part about this is that in fact. There was more coverage of the school back then in a lot of ways. I would not say it's critical coverage. I would not say it's sufficient, but they had a better local like news infrastructure then, right? Like mm. we live in a world now where we have hollowed out local news. There are right. fewer journalists. There are fewer people to cover these stories. The profit motive has shifted, less people subscribe. You know, Mount Meg's, the institution is still open. And there is, I mean, 20, 30 times as much coverage of it in the 1960s than there is today. So I'm both worried about erasing what exists in the history we know. And I'm worried that right now, especially in the state of journalism, we have really um, we don't as a country, we do not sufficiently value journalism and and local journalism in particular, and the price that we're all paying for that. Um, in in the in a form of like this institution for juveniles still exists and we don't know what's happening there right
0: right, um, right.
1: and so that just you know I, I think about both of those things when i think about what we're seeing currently from conservatives and you know the the white supremacists that are still exists in this country
0: you know it's it's interesting because i um started uh recently started with a couple of friends a band book book group
1: oh i (laughs) love that yeah Um,
0: and so we read a different band book um every month and
1: and
0: and, yeah we started with um fahrenheit and you know some of these Mm -hmm. books we've read before but you know we started with fahrenheit because we thought that was really appropriate and then we've read a couple of other light look kind of lighter uh, books mm-hmm. and then this month we read um, 1984 and that oh, is wow. not a light read but right. it does you know it it's everybody should read it because it's like almost the the script for what's mm-hmm. going on right now totally um, totally and it's so it's so scary but you know it's like the the my goal is you know try to encourage people to read um as much as possible and actually speak up as much as possible mm-hmm. um even if it's not you know I've had a couple people say to me well this doesn't affect me it's like yeah but it will eventually huh yep you know? yeah so so now let me ask you this so you went to college in in New York uh-huh um you then went to Boston and did you just decide to go
1: home to to
0: Atlanta, or how did that happen?
1: No, so I went, yeah, so I went to college in New York, lived there for um, a couple years after, a year and a half, because I graduated, graduated semester early, so I was there for until, whatever, to, a year and a half later, went to Boston um, for three years, and then came back to New York, and that's where I met my husband, and um, where I was working for a while. I actually moved to Atlanta in 2017 when I was eight and a half months pregnant, mm. um, in part because the idea of raising a kid in New York just felt, I mean, being in New York, I mean, I like, you know, it was always a stretch. Could we pay our rent? Could we get, the right. you know, it's not, it's just not for the faint of heart, and right? Was, you know, and I was 30 and I was like, I've been in New York, you know, pretty much the past 12 years minus, um, minus, you know nine months out of the year when I was in Boston for three years but even then the summers I'm home and I mean I'm sorry the summers I was back in New York so I felt really like I'm gonna miss it so much it's gonna be so hard um and I do not miss it uh I you know I loved it when I was there and I really feel happy that I had those years there um but it's been really great to kind of um be back home in Atlanta with uh, my family and be able to raise my kids in a place where they can, you know, they have a backyard and they have space and they, you know, they don't live on top of me, (laughs) which I don't know if I could have taken. So, um, but I I think there's also downsides, like obviously. It's the South. It's the South. It's the South. Yeah. Even like, even that part, I mean, Atlanta is so different than so much of Georgia that I don't even, I mean, look, I'm not thrilled about who my you know, governor is, but in general, I don't, I'm it's I would say like I, even more immediately than that it feels it's hard you know my husband's also a journalist like it's a tough industry right you know it's it's there are no guarantees people don't have decade long two decade long jobs anymore right like, you know it's it feels like I don't want to say it's a dying industry because we can't afford for it to die but it can feel that way and so it's hard to not be in like a big market for our work Mm -hmm. like it's hard to not be in DC or Atlanta or LA or New York in some ways because if one of us I mean I don't I I freelance right now but if my husband lost his job or something you're sort of like there is nowhere else to work like we don't live in a place at all Um, but uh, I also you know as I'm always joking around with my parents I don't have to pay for babysitting so. Um, There's sweet, <laughs> there are ups and downs, you know, um, um, and it's great, like, it's really, I mean, I you understand, obviously, because you have, um, you have your daughter and your grandkids around, like, it's just incredible, I didn't grow up around my grandparents, they lived in Ohio and Minnesota, so I saw them, but just not as much, and it just feels so great for my kids to be able to grow up knowing their grandparents, you know, yeah. it feels so, I'm so grateful for that.
0: Yeah, my, my mother, Retired when she both my parents were school teachers and my mother retired mm-hmm. when Taylor turned five, so that she could pick her up from school every day.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, were school teachers in L. A. Yeah, in, yeah, in,
0: in the Compton school district. So. Oh wow. Um, okay.
1: My yeah. My mother-in-law, um, my so my husband's from L. A. Um, and my mother-in-law, my in-law still lived there, and my mother-in-law was also a teacher in um in L. A. Uh, and so um. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that.
0: Yeah. So yeah, it it's a, it, it's a big deal. It And so that's one of the reasons I'm enjoying uh, the time that I can spend with the twins. Yeah. I
1: know. Cause I know the move is sad too. Yeah.
0: It's going to yeah. be sad, but it'll be good.
1: Um, yeah,
0: it. yeah. Yeah. So you didn't practice, you just kind of skimmed over that idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I know uh, a couple of Journalists, actually, like you know, Ronan Farrow, you know, went to Yale Law School and he never practiced. Mm-hmm. Um, was that a difficult decision for you to
1: make? How did your family, um, yeah, uh, feel about that? Yeah, I don't think my parents are thrilled. Um, <laughs> if I were going to take a wild guess, um, but and I and I and I don't, I wouldn't say it was necessarily a difficult decision to make because it didn't feel it didn't feel it never felt like something i really wanted to do like when i was in law school um and you know this because you're a lawyer and you're probably you might be one of these people um but i was always kind of amazed like there were people in my class and including friends of mine right who who when they say like think like a lawyer they really could. They really got right. it. They really mm-hmm. were able to kind of form formulate the argument in a way that worked with the law, that worked with the court. They were able to kind of, um, they had this ability to work within the confines of the law uh-huh. to make the argument that they wanted. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I don't know that I didn't have that ability, but I didn't have that um I was not interested in that. Me I was either. way more interested in the why is the law like this? Like why right. would we do it like this? And or that, and that makes, makes no sense. That makes, this makes no sense. sense. I mean, it was just right. like a constant thing in my head. Like this makes no sense. Like I, you know, it. And then you're, you hear them sort of say like, well, it's this way because X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, maybe, but I still don't understand why we would do it this way. You know, and and so that was always um way more interesting to me, and therefore like drove a lot of the kind of career decisions I made Mm -hmm. I think the other thing was like I I I think that maybe some of my some of my skill is or what I would like to what I've always kind of wanted to focus on in terms of skill building is like how do you take these like legal concepts that are intentionally opaque and intentionally not accessible to much of the world right and make people and help people understand what they mean and why they are that way like when before i went to law school uh, i would hear about laws or w- w- decisions and think okay well that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but i'm right. sure they have a good reason for doing that and it turns out they don't yeah. um there are no good reasons <laughs> you know these are like uh you know laws made by man and it's and it's um it's imperfect and we have not made it easy to criticize because so if you're not a lawyer, you just think there's some reason for it set up this way. And so much of it is just kind of inertia. And so, um, and so I, I really do think a lot of the reason I am not a lawyer is because I, I was not my skill set. Um, but I also think I didn't even really, frankly, try uh, to develop that skill set because it didn't feel like the best place to spend my energy.
0: All right. I like to say it just wasn't my jam
1: it just wasn't yeah.
0: my jam you it know, wasn't it, was like, it really wasn't I, you know I, I started out in college you know because I was a kind of math whiz so I started out at engineering major and I and I got in there and I looked around and it's like you know this is not my jam then, right you know I right. went to marketing and I was, that was my jam and then I went to right. law school basically because I felt like I had gotten um uh treated very poorly by an employer and i decided to go to law school so that i could yeah have something that could never be taken away from me Uh so i went for the wrong reason you know i tell Uh people now as a as a recruiter i tell people who are thinking about going to law school? Go to law school if you want to be a lawyer.
1: Yes. <laughs> you, yes. Know? you know, that um, weird thing where people say, like, oh, you can do anything with this degree. No, I guess in some ways. Yeah, I mean, um, in some ways, I'm like, I guess I am. Yeah. I, I, like, I think my degree has helped me, sure. Yes. But it's so weird that we tell people, like, oh, don't worry. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's total, you can do anything with it because it's, it really is a very specific skill yeah um, yeah it really is you know it does
0: te- it teaches you to think in a way that kind of nobody else thinks yeah which is which is kind of cool um
1: yeah and and if yeah. you have if
0: you take the bar and you pass it you know it it's the kind of thing that nobody can take away from you unless you do something really stupid right. um which was kind right. of why i did it um, right. But I wasn't cut out for it, so I, so mm-hmm. I get it. And and actually, my husband's a lawyer also. And Taylor grew up with two lawyers as That's parents, true. and us telling her, "Do not go to law school."
1: Right. Right. Um, right. And and
0: really, you know, to to pursue your creative side and pursue what makes you happy mm-hmm. and what you're really good at. And so I'm very proud of both of you. Um oh, thank you. Bert, for, for doing that. And I'm glad that you found each other. Um, so, you know, we don't have that much. Well, we have a little bit more time. But yeah. um, what, how would you, what kind of advice would you mm-hmm. give young folks um, who want to do something significant, um, and, and especially, in, in you know, to help, the world, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in this environment where you know you can kind of do anything you want, right? You can, mm-hmm. you can, you can, you can make and do anything you want. But you know, it. You've managed to to pull it off. What kind of what what advice would you give, like for example, other folks who have gone to law school and it's just not you know their jam,
1: right? It's interesting. I mean, like I, I guess the first thing I would say would be that. Um, it's generous. I feel so generous and also to me feels so inaccurate to say that I've been able to pull it off because I'm like, I'm still figuring out, uh, you know, we all sort of feel like I think about what I would have felt like as a kid seeing me and I would have been like, man, she must have it figured out. And The truth is I don't. Um, <laughs> so again, I think a lot of it is trial and error, right? And being okay, trying something out that you might not be good at or you might, you know, it might not be for you. And it's <coughs> sorry, that's good. it might not be for you, and it's that's okay, and it's also valuable to know what doesn't work for you, you know, um law school in that way was really valuable for me because I had not really had that experience yet where I was like, No, not for me, you know, like i yeah. mm-hmm. i undergrad you know, like was fine, and you know you just i didn't I didn't really understand that i that i had strong opinions about like what i ended up doing and i only had those strong opinions once i realized what i didn't like um and so that was uh that was like very valuable for me even if it didn't turn out um exactly how i wanted i would say the other thing is there are so many things that need help <laughs> mm-hmm. that like we need everybody right there's space for you there's space for your skills sometimes it can be I think can be a process figuring out how best to utilize that space, um, and how best to get in, but the world, um, needs is, you know, it's all hands on deck, right? Right. Times are, times are tough, um, and uncertain. And the best thing that we can do as a world, as a community, as a race, as a nation is to, you know, help because it gives the rest of, it gives people hope, um, The other thing I would say, sorry, and then the last thing I'll say is that, like, one of the things I've really noticed is that, you know, I have, I'm at a point now, I'm 10 years out of law school, I just went to my 10 year law school reunion. And I had this kind of realization, which was, you see all these people who went the way they did the thing, right? They Mm -hmm. were good at the thing, and they did the thing, and they are good at it. And they're, you know, now they're doing the, like, now they're not the first year associate; they're the tenth year partner, and they're, you know, right. and and it's like it's working. And also, they don't really care about the work itself. Um, it's they, you know, like just because of whatever deals they're working on or projects are on, it's not there. They don't. It's it doesn't it doesn't motivate them very much. And that doesn't a, affect
0: them personally. It doesn't affect them
1: personally. It doesn't. They don't feel. And that you know that's a really frankly, that's a really hard, like, life to live. Yeah. To be working all the time on something you're not really that interested in. And so sometimes people say to me, like, oh, it's so, like, you know, so ne- good of you to get to work on these things and give this to the, like, you know, do these things. And I'm like, actually, like, this is, I love, I love this stuff. I do what I love. And that is a real, that's, that's better than, the other stuff in my opinion I mean that's not insulting or, or criticizing people who have gone a different way but I just think it can feel really like over it can feel really scary to step away from the stuff you don't care about and do the stuff you do care about and I think right. it's it's really also great it's you will you won't be disappointed
0: it takes courage right
1: yeah. Yeah, it takes does. courage because yeah.
0: you're going against the norm. I mean, most people. I mean, it also to me says that, you know, you're not worried about what people think. Um, you're uh, and um, you're really more a leader than a follower. Um, and and I think that that's commendable. So so this. Thank you. This bo- podcast is called BS Beyond Stereotypes, and the one question I haven't asked you is, you know, what stereotypes do you feel that people make about you, mm-hmm. and why, and are they right or wrong, and how have you overcome them?
1: It's a great question, and I think, I think, um, I think I would have two different answers. One would be of my experience in law school, which was. My biggest regret from law school, easily, is that I didn't speak up more, Mm -hmm. that when people said things that I found, um, you know, at least, at the very least, unrepresentative of the real world, Mm -hmm. um, but also sometimes offensive and racist mm -hmm. or sexist or classist, I was quiet very often. And part of that was because I was one of the only Black people in my section, um, you know, like this it's a small black population relatively small black population at the law school at harvard although it's it's bigger, bigger than, than a lot of schools yeah exactly <laughs> right. exactly but you know and so i didn't want to be the person i didn't want to ask the dumb question i don't want to say mm-hmm. the wrong thing now i recognize like man that was my last chance at getting at some of these people because mm-hmm. these people go on they clerk for the supreme court they go and make laws they go and you know fight like could become partner at law firms and they don't have anybody pushing back on them really anymore. And I, um, and I really regret that I let the fear of being stereotyped as the affirmative action kid or the dumb kid or the whatever, you
0: know, the angry
1: black female, exactly (laughs) that. I let that dictate my, um, my willingness to speak up because, uh, I think that was not just harmful to me. I think it was harmful to my classmates. They Mm. like, it's they, like, I had things to say that they could have heard and they didn't. Right. I, I think the other, you know, I think the other kind of um, stereotype that really exists about people in journalism, and I think I'm in a kind of different place, right? Because I I think it's really hard to be in journalism right now, in part because like I said earlier, it feels like a dying industry and there's this real narrative of like journalists as elite and, um, and uh, you know, nobody likes the media, right? right? And so every journalist I know, and it's on both sides, like I don't even like the media and I work at it. So <laughs> every journalist I know kind of has this, is kind of battling this, oh, you're a journalist, you're not, You you aren't, you don't really understand the struggles of real people, you're a vulture, you're a... Um, you know your highfalutin like this kind of narrative right. of us as being out of touch which i think of course like you know when you i there are obviously large parts of um what it of like there are large areas of the world that journalists despite you, we don't understand everything just because we cover things, right? right? I've never been to prison. I don't know what it's like to be spend 30 years in prison. I try to represent that. But it is absolutely true that I don't have all of that background knowledge. I'd also say that, like, it's it is it's um, I, I worry about the way that we think about journalism. The free press is like one of the most amazing um, values of this country. Yeah. Um, the need for accountability. In our, in our, among our elected officials, um, among the people who make decisions for us, among the real elite is really important. And so I think the stereotypes of media that have been perpetuated, not, I mean, largely by the right, but not exclusively by the right, are, um, are harming all of us again, because I, I really think the lack of, um, the 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 dying off of media is the dying off of democracy, right? It's a yeah. big deal if you live in a county without a paper. Yes. Like these are people who control your lives, um, and there are states right now that don't have daily papers anymore. Um, you know, I don't think Wyoming has a daily paper anymore. I know well, there are and, only like and, ten people in Wyoming, but you know, <laughs> they deserve some coverage. You know. Well, and dumbing down the
0: media and coverage yes. uh, just dumps down our population.
1: Right. Exactly, exactly. And it's really, it's, so I feel, um, I feel, I think, I mean, there are all the other, the the other um, stereotypes, right? I'm a black woman, I um, am from the South, I like work in largely white fields, and I've kind of worked in largely white fields forever. So I think there's some of that as well. But I would say, in particular, like the ways in which being a black woman in law school, um, and also being part of the media, like those to me seem like the stereotypes in that um that have such bigger implications, right? way beyond me. Um but I think about not just me in law school, but everybody every black woman lawyer I know who maybe didn't speak up when they wanted to in law school because what if, you know, and right. that's a that's that means that overall, that's like a huge, huge loss
0: right right
1: well, any any
0: table or any setting. Um, that you're in, and you don't speak up because you're afraid of the consequences.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you have a lived experience that someone else can learn from, mm-hmm. is a loss.
1: Yeah, I, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and the idea, you know, that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I want people to hear from folks like you who, you know, or you know, have some have courage, have taken risks, you know, have mm-hmm. done something different, who, you know, come to that realization that it makes more sense to speak up than not and mm-hmm. be yourself and be authentic. Um and it's okay,
1: you know, yeah. to do that,
0: you know. That's why
1: I do this. Well, I'm so glad that you are spreading that message and telling um, the world that because I think what you said is so true. It's such a gift to be able to hear from other people and hear their experiences. It really is a gift, right? Yes. And we are in a world right now where people think it's a burden, just exclusively a burden. They don't want to hear from us. They don't want to hear. I mean, what, a, what a, how amazing is it that we live in a place where people do have different experiences and they do have a lot to share. And um, the question is whether or not we're going to value that.
0: Right. And as as I don't have to tell you because this is what you do, but storytelling is important and it's the key to, to community and yes. understanding and yes. compassion and yes. empathy and all yes. of
1: that. Absolutely. So Absolutely.
0: we are out of time. I do want to say that I Googled your grandmother uh. <laughs> and uh, her name is Uh, Josie Robinson Johnson, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's her. So I want everybody to Google um, Miss Johnson and read about her because um, I think we will all have a better understanding of why you are who you are.
1: Um, She is just my absolute idol. I feel so lucky um, to have her, and my you know my kids get to know her. And um, and to your point about history, like I just it makes me really sad to think that there are people who want to erase work she's done she's still living you know and there are people who want to erase her story um they're not even waiting waiting till this generation you know till that generation is gone they want to erase it now and so yes it's just a it's just a reminder like this is stuff that this is history but only barely I mean like this is stuff that has happened recently (laughs) yes um and we don't and we see this effort to, to get rid of it. So it's it's quite depressing.
0: Well, let's dedicate this episode to her.
1: Yes, that would uh, be wonderful. Please,
0: when you see her, give her a hug for me. I will. <laughs> and, I will. And
1: I'm, I'm so and, glad that we got to talk.
0: Yeah. And I look forward to what you do next. Hopefully you, you'll find another project to do with Taylor. She loves you. Um,
1: yes, we're going to do a project together. I think I'm very excited.
0: Awesome. And uh, thank you so much. I've you know, and thanks to so thank you, uh, Josie, for being here to BS with me today.
1: Thank you um, so
0: much. Yes, and thanks to everyone for listening. Until the next episode, remember that everybody is different, and different is good.
1: Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait.
0: Okay, now from the beginning. We hope you enjoyed the stories shared in today's episode of BS, Beyond Stereotypes. Join us next time when another authentic personality unleashes their uniqueness on the world.